My purpose in life is to leave my dent in the universe in absolutely everything I do, as well as to inspire and help others do the same. For someone to leave their dent in my life is a privilege. For me to leave my dent in someone else's life is an honor. But to inspire and help others leave their own dent in the universe is an indescribable feeling. I plan on doing this through this podcast by celebrating my guests and inspiring my listeners, all while leaving my own dent in the universe and helping others do the same. My name is Fer Andrade, and this is Denting. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Denting with Fed. Today, I have a very special guest. I'm really excited about this talk, and I told you I was. I'll explain why in a minute. Um, Kat Rojas, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Um, I'm excited about this because, like you just said, actually, that you're just going to roll with it. That's literally the goal for me here as well. Usually, I have like a whole plan structure of like an interview, but I have more questions that I'm genuinely curious about because for the first time I have someone that has the same interest as me outside of sports, which is the politics side to things. So that I'm really excited about that. Um, but before we dive into that, would you like to introduce yourself for those that may not know you? Sure. Um, my name is Kat Rojas. I'm a senior midfielder on the women's lacrosse team. I uh, am double majoring in poli-sci and media studies. And yeah, that's that's pretty much me. <laughs> that's you. Um, so yeah, I explained how why I'm excited about this. Tell me how you got to Cal. Obviously, there's the lacrosse aspect of things, and I don't want to completely erase that from the conversation. But how how is that? How is your recruitment process to get here? Um, well, obviously, lacrosse is you know what introduced me to Cal. Um, I'm from the East Coast, so pretty much all of my other options, and pretty much all I had considered were on the East Coast, being close to home. Um, and then one day I got an email from the Cal coaches and my dad was like, you gotta go to Berkeley. You have to just go check it out. Um, and then I came on a few visits and from the minute I like landed in San Francisco, I knew that I wanted to be out here. Um, and it's extra special because my this was my dad's dream school. Okay. He grew up in the Philippines and he ended up going to school in Chicago which is not a bad second option, but yeah. uh, he really wanted to go to Cal. And uh, I, I think the story was that he applied to a bunch of graduate programs and then when it came time to apply to Berkeley, he didn't have, he couldn't afford it. Okay. So it was an extra special thing to share with him that like we were both living out kind of the same dream um, and that I was able to do it. So yeah, that's kind of like the whole narrative that got me here. That's awesome. That's awesome. I didn't know that. Um, coming into Cal, did you have any idea of what you wanted to major in? No, not at all, actually. I think I considered a few other options. I didn't even think about political science or media studies. Um, I think I went in a little bit more like narrow-minded than I actually um, should have in terms of like not um, letting it come to me. I wanted to pick and choose and I wanted to uh, kind of like follow something that was going to set me up for success instead of kind of like letting my interests and my passion and the things that I'm like naturally more drawn to and just better at. Um, kind of lead me to these two majors, so I didn't really know. 
Yeah. Um, did your parents or anyone close to you ever pressure you to, pressure you to study a certain thing, or was it all open mind minded? Like you can choose whatever you want. Um, I think my dad was just mainly happy I was at Berkeley, okay. so he didn't really care. Um, I have three sisters, and we're all very different. Um, so I think I'm the third one. So by the time they got to me, it was kind of just like she's the only one in California. She's off doing her own thing. Oh, well. <laughs> so be it. She can do whatever she wants, which is awesome to have that liberty and not really feel that pressure. Um, I think I pressured myself into doing, wanting to do something um, more like technical and just not even um, kind of, I guess, uh, taking into, considering, into consideration what my interests were, but I also just didn't know what they were. Okay. I didn't realize up until like later on that like politics was interesting to me or... Um, Honing in on the fact that I was really good at writing, so why yeah. not follow a major that I can showcase that? Yeah. How did you find out about these interests? Did you purposely, like, look for them, or did you just find them eventually? Like, what happened with your journey there? Um, I think it kind of has to do with the Go Bears Go Vote, like, origin story, which was that my freshman year, a senior at the time, had taken us through essentially the Go Bears Go Vote presentation okay. where she was set out this goal to get everyone on our team and her wider goal was to get everyone in the athletic department registered to vote um, and she was just a one-woman show and she had just taken us through and it kind of made me realize how little I knew about that entire realm and how um, I could and should be more civically engaged I just like didn't really have the knowledge to okay. um, and I think that kind of led me to realizing that political science as a major was something that encapsulated that that kind of knowledge but also kind of gave me like um I don't know it kind of it kind of just like I was more drawn to it because it had that like writing aspect it had that like critical thinking aspect that um I was naturally good at academically but also um interested me like there's so many different classes and different directions you can go with it. Um, so I think that moment, my freshman year, kind of opened up my eyes to um, politics and civic engagement and yeah. whatnot. No, that's that's very interesting. Um, I'm asking because, for me, I didn't really think about poli-sci coming into Cal at all either. Um, I have been, like, business major-minded the whole time. I'm actually, like, applying right now, so I'm still mm -hmm. going on to that, but... <laughs> PoliSide came to play when the pandemic started. It was in January, so my second semester of my freshman year. Um, I started getting really into current events because I heard about this thing called coronavirus, and I was like, ah, it's coming up in the news. I'm going to start reading the news. And my dad actually, like, consumes a lot of current events, like, just on the news. Um, and we used to connect with it because my eighth-grade teacher... Um, Mrs. Bonnie Nager um, would have us like write current events weekly and just present them in class. But after that, I didn't really read the news, watch the news, anything. And this came around, the pandemic happened, I got really bored. So I started consuming the news a lot and it was like, I'm going to one up my dad yeah. and just know more than him. So I would read everything, all these sources. 
And then I actually was like a bit annoyed uh, with all the misinformation going on, specifically with my friends, with my mm -hmm. friend group. And it wasn't like the misinformation that we know today. It was actually like they just weren't aware of what was going on because there was confusion mm -hmm. and they weren't willing to watch or read the news. So I started recording videos. That's how I like got into this thing. Oh, cool. I That's recorded awesome. videos like every day and it was like one minute uh, per section and it was like my own little news thing. And I would just share it on an account with my friends, and, and that's how I got into yeah, poli-sci. that's awesome. That makes me think of kind of like an unlocked memory, which I guess is kind of another way to answer your question, but I love SNL. Yes. And Weekend Update is my favorite part of SNL. And when I was a few years back, like maybe when I was in high school or even the start of college, I just didn't love that I didn't know what the jokes they were making reference to. And yes. so I was just like, okay, I'll be in the know. I'll, I'll find out what senator or what politician they're making fun of or what current event they're making light of. So I can, one, understand the joke, and then, two, like, I also loved, like, being able to share it, like, explain yes. real-world current events with people who wouldn't bother maybe to do it on their, to look it up on their own, but also just, like, it's fun to talk about when you're knowledgeable Exactly. Yeah. Share. Yeah, and that's like one of the things I enjoyed, like the relationship with my dad, like just talking about those things. And SNL is actually mm -hmm. huge as well because he would show me some videos and I didn't understand it back in high school. And now that I watch it, because I watch it um, every Sunday morning, pretty much now, and yeah. Weekend Update is just the best. It's my favorite. That would be my dream job, I think, to be a writer for like a satirical news show because I think it's. The satire of it, of, like, the current events, bring a whole other perspective to, like, just the current event as it is. And it's also, like, I think one of the more entertaining um, ways to deliver news that isn't necessarily, like, as, um, you know, black and white as, like, regular news shows. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, especially with news today, I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's very... Uh, polarized nowadays and I mean SNL obviously leans one way more than another but it's still like satire like you're saying it's pretty yeah. funny I think everybody can just laugh at it um with the the dream job that you're talking about I don't want to get there yet but with writing have you always known about writing like is that something you've always been passionate about or is it just because you're good at it um I think it kind of was a it the passion kind of fueled, I, I guess I really enjoyed um, writing as a kid and making stories up or just writing. And I would always, I guess the, mo the more I did it, the better I got at it. Yeah. So it was like a self-reinforcing cycle. Um, and my favorite thing to do is to write about something that I'm passionate about because it's just so much easier and it's makes it so much more meaningful. So like even when I'm writing essays for class, if I'm not super passionate about the subject, it's really difficult, obviously, because it, the words don't flow and I'm not as willing to do the research, the extra work. Um, so I think, yeah, I think um, it was kind of that like self-reinforcing cycle that has always, I've always just been drawn to writing. Yeah. Again, literally in the same <laughs> shoes because um, I've loved writing like ever since I knew I, I was like pretty good at it. I'm a very talkative person, so writing was like a different form of just communicating, but with myself mm -hmm. in a way. 
and I love essays. We were talking about how you have three essays due mm-hmm. in like the next two days. Yes. I've written, I think, well, this month. So we're recording in November, but it's released. It's going to release like uh, finals week, I think, in December. Mm-hmm. But this month, I'm basically writing 50 pages in essays. Um, and honestly, I've known about this since August. And I've been excited for it. Like, obviously, it sucks when there's research involved and things like that. But the writing aspect is, like, mm-hmm. way better for me than uh, an equation or, or something like mm-hmm. that. And it's just so much fun for me. I also do a blog, like, on the men's soccer page. And it's, like, writing freely and, and something I enjoy. How do you see yourself connecting? Like, obviously, writing helps you with poli-sci. And I'm sure it has to do something with media studies mm-hmm. as well. How do you see yourself connecting those two majors? And where do you think that'll take you? That's a really good question. I don't necessarily have, like one point where I see them intersecting Um, because I I have like so many different like ideas of where that could go Um, part of me wants to go to law school so uh, and that's something I will like hang on to and I guess I'm speaking into existence and it's being recorded right now because I don't always share that with people because I'm afraid I'm not going to actually go and that yeah. it's already been out there. But whatever, speaking into existence, it's how things happen anyway. Um, so part of me wants to be a lawyer of some sort. I'm not entirely sure. I see that those two intersecting there entirely. Um, kind of like I said earlier, Journalism is something that's super interesting to me, too. I love shows that are about, like, the news world. Um, my favorite show right now, it's uh, called The Morning Show okay. on Apple TV, and it's about something terrible, but the it encapsula- encapsulates, like, the energy behind a production studio and it's chaotic and it's a lot but like something about that I really love it like waking up really early and having a million tasks to complete and then seeing the results happen in front of you um and I think that would be a really interesting way to um mix the two some sort of like production journalism something like that because I think that also encapsulates some of the other things that I am like naturally drawn to just kind of like uh project management planning stuff like that yeah i'm i'm smiling because literally everything you said i can relate to um even with journalism so you spoke that into existence i'll speak it into existence i want a minor in journalism it's hard because i i want to double major as well but there is a summer minor for journalism and it's only six weeks i was looking at it like two weeks ago and i'm I'm 100 percent gonna do it next summer because I mean we have to come up for captain's training and that's literally the exact same time yeah so journalism is something I love um or like I love watching people do it now I want to practice it Mm -hmm. um and law school is something that popped up into my head this Mm -hmm. semester yeah um like right after college maybe or we'll see but literally those two things as well speaking about shows have you ever watched a show called the newsroom no, but I've heard about it, and it's yes. been recommended to me a lot. You should definitely watch it. It, it. like, It's very short, but I think it's perfect timing because like the ending is, is pretty nice instead of extending it to more and more. Um, I've watched other shows, and they continue to extend it, and it just isn't as good. Right. And here they like cut it out well, but it shows you how like the news media, especially like on TV, has just 
changed so much from facts to opinions and and how that transition happened but you should definitely watch it i won't spoil it okay um but no that is that is very cool i i mean i had no clue uh, about that at all um going a bit more into the go bears go vote um so take me through through that you learned about it your freshman year was that a thing your freshman year um she didn't have a name for it i don't think um her name was Maddie Roberts, and she, uh, like I said earlier, she basically came up with the idea. Uh, her goal was to get all of the lacrosse athletes registered to vote. She came to, we had a, we had a meeting, and she had a presentation, why you should vote, why voting is cool, how to vote. She brought, like, envelopes and stamps. Like, she gave us no reason to not walk out of that room registered to vote, and she, I was, she, I went through the process myself. I um, mailed my application for an absentee ballot. It was around the midterm elections in 2018. Um, and that really stuck with me. She ended up graduating. Um, like I said, it was kind of a one-woman show, so she yeah. wasn't able to achieve everything that she set out to, but she had the idea in mind. Um, and then fast forward a few years um, when the 2020 presidential election was coming up, I had talked about it with a few teammates who were also poli-sci majors um, throughout, you know, leading up to 2020 about restarting this voting campaign and kind of picking it up where she left off and making it bigger, more widespread, trying to get support from the athletic department, from coaches, and reach every team if we could. Yeah. So I think in the summer of 2020... Yeah. Yeah. I called my coach. I had a check-in meeting with my coach, and I had told her, like, again, I spoke it into existence, so someone else could hold me accountable if I didn't, if she wanted to check in on it, and I totally forgot. Um, I told her we were going to do this, and I was like, we are going to dedicate, I know we don't, we don't have practice in the fall coming up because of COVID. We have all online school. Half of us won't even be in Berkeley, but we're going to make it happen just to let you know. I might need your help trying to engage with other coaches and like spreading the word. And she was super supportive, super helpful. Um, and from there we met in August, I think, um, the four of us and kind of started planning and trying to modify our original plans of, of presenting in person with everyone to online presentations because of COVID and trying to reach as many coaches as possible to get us on their calendar. Um, and start presenting from there. And then from September on, it was just go, 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 presentation, reaching out to coaches, trying to get information out there. And then come November, it was all in the hands of the student athletes to go out and vote. That's awesome. That's awesome that it happened. And that's interesting how you have like someone else hold you accountable for things. I mean, it's a good strategy. Um, before again diving into more details i've noticed that the lacrosse team as a whole is very active i mean you mentioned the senior when you were a freshman maddie mm -hmm. um and your coaches helping you out uh, i got to know a bit of your team as well i mean not really because it was virtual mm -hmm. but i helped out with the uh, bears united video which mm -hmm. was played in at one of your halftime shows yeah um and that's how i like got to know your coaches some of your teammates um, why is that, do you think? Um, well, we actually dedicate our coach, um, Coach Eubanks is a really 
one of her like main pillars, if you will, is community service. So we have meetings regularly, and that's including like film, going over and um, scout for the next for preparing for the next game, whatnot. And one of those meetings that we have, I want to say once a month, is about um, our community outreach, and we have about five or six. Uh, groups within our team dedicated to different uh, different groups in our community. We um, we have a Headstrong Foundation, which is more of a lacrosse oriented. Um, I think it is only lacrosse uh, across uh, teams across the uh, country, where they raise money for um, it's a cancer research and cancer um, fundraising something like that. I'm not doing a good job explaining it, but we have, we, she dedicates X amount of time every month to require that we are all engaged, and half of it, half of the um, groups, like you said, are made by us, so we have a Go Bears Go Vote group, we have a Bears United group, um, Kelly is the president of SAC, we have all of those um, different outreach groups that, half of them are started by us, so it's pretty cool that she builds in time for us to do it. Um, and it also holds us accountable to following through and like building on it and making sure that something like Go Bears Go Vote is not just something that exists in 2020. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I mean, I know about Kelly and her involvement. Kelly is up ter- mm-hmm. upstairs, so shout out Kelly. Uh, same as like Brooke, you guys did the cookies the, the mm-hmm. other day for the um, breast cancer research. Yeah. Brooke is also upstairs, shout out Brooke. Um, but that's that's awesome. I didn't know that about your coach, but from the few conversations that we've had over Zoom, uh, I could tell. And is that something you guys know about like during the recruitment process or you just find out when you get here? Um, I think it's something that kind of came into fruition over the past four years, I want to say. Because I think... Um, with Maddie Roberts four years ago, that was definitely an individual effort, um, but it didn't necessarily transcend throughout the whole team. So I think she observed that we were, you know, what we were doing off the field and outside of the classroom, and she started to work that into like our team culture, which is really cool. And besides that, like we were just talking about this before um, recording, that like for example you guys have your little thing later today of friendsgiving but i was telling you you guys seem very united do you think that community service has anything to do with it um i i think it definitely we motivate each other a lot to be involved and it's not necessarily it's our community service is not necessarily just like a checkbox on our calacross resume it's something that we all care passionately about and we have the liberty to choose which groups and which foundations in which uh, community outreach groups we want to be part of. So it comes ultimately from us, which um, our team chemistry and our like unity on that front helps a lot to for us to be successful and engage um, outside of our team um, more than I think if we didn't necessarily have that strong of a team chemistry. So I think it is another self-reinforcing cycle that... Um, continues to produce good things that's so awesome that is very cool to to hear about um i think a lot of teams lack that and that is something that is very admirable i think i also see that in a team like uh, women's basketball here at Mm -hmm. cal i mean 
both Kai and Sierra, shout out to them. They started the Racial Justice Council, and I work with them on that and and things like that. But their entire team, their coach, Charmin, is, is committed to it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that happens mostly with other teams, but specifically with men's teams as well. It's very interesting. Like, what I've noticed is that women's teams are involved more in that. I'm not sure why, but, like, since I help out with the Racial Justice Council, for example, we had an, well, they had the, a 5K event. We had a game that day, so I didn't go. Mm-hmm. But I got a text back from them. I think it was from Bryn, and she was like, yeah, field hockey was there. Um, women's basketball was there. I'm not sure if your team went Our to that. Team went, yeah. All right, your whole team went to that, and I think men's basketball was there. And that's because of women's basketball. And that was it. It's like, I don't know. It, it's it's pretty weird to me. I don't like that that's the case, but it's just something I've realized it's an observation. But I think that we have a lot of learning to do, specifically from your coaches, but as well as from the players that are like self-initiating all these mm-hmm. different things because not only is it having a positive impact um, on the community, but it's also having a positive impact on the team, which I think is awesome mm-hmm. um so that all happened did you guys have a goal with go bears go vote our goal was to make or our goal was to ensure that every eligible student athlete at cal was registered and prepared to vote obviously we couldn't you know have any way of checking to see but the numbers that we collected following we had pre-surveys and post-surveys and we were able to see how many student athletes I don't remember off the top of my head, but we had made a dent, essentially. And it was a really interesting time where there were majority of student of the student-athletes had not yet participated in um, an election. They were of age, but there was no chance for them, or maybe they just, you know, the smaller elections often go unnoticed. And I think um, this was a really critical time for us to be doing this project. So we kind of were just like, let's go big, let's try to make the biggest impact we can um and it was really successful from that end yeah no that, that was awesome and it was my first election as well mostly because of my age mm-hmm. um but yeah i remember that being a, a big thing and i i have one of the t-shirts as mm-hmm. well and that was very cool what happened after that what happened like go bears go vote the election happens what's next is there anything Yes, so we've already started working with Jesse from the Cameron Institute, um, trying to move forward and plan for next year, as um, myself and Nikki is the other um, remaining Go Bears Go Vote co-leaders, and we're both graduating and leaving, um, and like you said, we don't want it to you know, just disappear, um, because people graduate and new people come in and that's another opportunity to um, either remind people, help people get registered. Um, So we're working with her to start planning for next year, uh, making it bigger, getting athletes from other teams to come and support, um, to be part of this leadership board, whatever that may be. Uh, Turning kind of, taking our notes from last year because it was kind of like, it was organized, but for us to have an even bigger impact, it could be implemented in a very like strategic structure. Um, so we're kind of building that out, this plan, um, starting in, in December and we're going to go from there. And then at some point I will just be handing out, handing off, you know, the, 
the leadership of that to another younger student athlete who is just as passionate about it as we are. Yeah, that is that that's awesome and uh, I mean it does have a huge impact to pass it on or pay it forward if mm -hmm. you will like to the next class and the next and the next and just having that continuous impact um, we met because well I saw you in a few of the videos that I made which mm -hmm. so I did two last semester um, one was for the stop the uh, Asian and Pacific Islander hate mm -hmm. which you were in and then the Bears United. Bears United is the Gay Straight Alliance here at Cal for mostly for student athletes and yeah. also I mean that's the lacrosse video. So, yeah. so I saw you through that, but I also met you through the leadership showcase. Yes. Um, which is why we I th well both both of the cameras that were there with us have been here on the mm -hmm. show as well. So, it was that event that we were at back in May. Uh, we gave speeches and your speech was focused on this campaign and and that movement that that you had. And I was writing down the quote from from that uh, in my notes, and apologies for that delay, but I really wanted to get this down. Um, you said that day that we can sink, we can float, or we can swim. What did you mean by that, and is that still applicable today? Yeah, definitely. I think that could be applicable to any aspect of your life. Um, and I think that's how I would describe maybe my first couple of years at Berkeley of not quite sinking, but floating. And I mean that in the sense of um, academically not really knowing what I was going to study, but just kind of like trying to bang out some requirements and just like get by. Floating is essentially to me just getting by in, in any circumstance, lacrosse wise, um, just trying to stay afloat in a very chaotic student-athlete life. Um, and it wasn't until my junior year, I think last year was a really pivotal year for me, um, where I felt myself really starting to swim. I was way more passionate about the classes I was taking and the essays I was writing. I found myself getting involved outside of lacrosse and outside of school, which was something that I've always wanted to do. I just didn't know how, and I didn't know where I fit in. Um, and I think swimming also has to do with kind of making those opportunities for yourself. Um, I think as a floater, we sometimes just wait for opportunities to come to us and then maybe take them on or maybe don't. But I think being a swimmer would be all about just like taking every opportunity that's given to you, but also creating it for yourself if it doesn't exist. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's the the latter part of your quote from that <laughs> showcase, yeah. Um, and I was, like, going to say, like, that's literally why I invited you for to this podcast, right? It's, um, I mean, many people do it unconsciously. Like, obviously, they are um, leaving their, their dent, but it's, like, not something that they label as leaving my dent, you mm -hmm. know? But in, in this case, I mean, the rest of the quote says the difference between floating and swimming is the difference between deciding to get better and deciding to just get by. There is a huge difference between taking opportunities and making opportunities. Uh, those who make opportunities for themselves are the people who are going to change the world. At the, at the end of the day, uh, nobody is, is going to invite you to change the world. You have to decide to do it for yourself and those around you. And to me, that is denting like what denting is all about um i mean i applaud you for that that is awesome it is very admirable and i mean this all 
even led you to um, receiving one of the three uh, community service awards that are handed out here at Cal. But the best part is that you didn't do it for that. You know, you didn't do it for the recognition, or maybe you did, but I don't think so. Um, but it's it's like that dent or that passing on or that swimming, like you called it. It's it's awesome. Um, and the like the way you said it as well. Nobody's going to invite you to change the world. It's the people who are going out uh, going out and doing it for themselves, creating those opportunities. Did you realize that before? you did that or did the experience teach you that later um i i think the entire experience um and that entire year it was really cool to be able to speak on a speak in may at the same time that i was kind of living that living through those lessons so it was a really cool moment that will probably never happen to me ever to be have the chance to like talk to people or about my life um, after something, a whole year of a lot of change for everyone, obviously. But, uh, like, I think I took that major step from floating to swimming, especially here at Berkeley. And I think those lived experiences are kind of what um, taught me that. And having the opportunity to, like, sit down and reflect on the year and then share it um, is kind of how that all came to mind and how all of those lessons... Um, were kind of like right there in front of me because I had just gone through um, a whole year of starting to make a dent or starting to realize that the power's in my hands to do so if I choose. So it was all on me. That's awesome, yeah. And it is the, the lived experiences. I that There's a reflection of a guy named Plutarch, and it, I mean, I, I forgot it, like, memorized, but it says something like, uh, it's, it's not about the the words that we learn from others but the words that are created from our experiences and that's what you're talking about and it's so true because for example I like to read a lot and I will learn from others through reading but at the end of the day you'll learn the most from what you experience and I feel like that's what you're talking about and it's, it's so special and I'm glad that you get to reflect it and it's crazy because this happened over a year ago now, today's the 19th, and that was November 4th, I believe, last year with the elections, and it's awesome. It's awesome that it had such a great impact, and we're going to need it again for, for next year's midterms. <laughs> yes. um, moving on from that, you've talked about SNL, you've talked about satire, um, go Bears, go vote. What is your take on all of this? Because although it may lean one way, it seems bipartisan. Would you ever make a campaign or something like that that is partisan? Um, I think it depends. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think part of what um, we realize with the opportunity with Go Bears, Go Vote is that um, we, especially in this, such a critical election, it was not our place at that point to even suggest one to that voters should vote one way or another. We just wanted people to vote. So we were working from like the ground up, like z starting at zero, assuming nobody is registered to vote, no one knows how to register to vote. And that was kind of our goal with that. Um, I mean, I think it all also depends on like where we are, like recognizing like, yes, I have, um, I had, you know, the agency and the 
the position as a student athlete at Cal um, who had this knowledge of, of how to register others and how, um, and we had the ability to, to lead from that perspective. Taking all those things into consideration, like going in a very nonpartisan direction was the way to yield the best results. 100% for that past election, and especially because of the way it was just being played out. Uh, I don't think it's, yeah, the the right approach uh, mm-hmm. in that case, especially coming from UC Berkeley and all the stereotypes right. and things. Uh-huh. Uh, may, I, I didn't phrase this right, but what I meant was, like, an example would be, go bears, get vaxxed. Like, things mm-hmm. like that, where it shouldn't be bipartisan, I mean, it shouldn't be partisan, and it's not really a political thing, right. but people make it political. And like at UC Berkeley, you have to be vaccinated to go to school. I think it's like, I don't know the exact number. I know it's above 80% now of people here that are vaccinated. I'm not sure what, what the athletic department number is, um, but it's it's little things like that that, I mean, go bears, get vaxxed, or any other social issues like what do you see yourself doing that or what do you just stay away from it? That's really interesting. Um, I think kind of what, why I was drawn to rebooting Go Bears Go Vote is because I had the knowledge to do so. I had the knowledge plus three friends and together we had the skill set to make it happen. I don't know if I would take any other direction or for example, like the Go Bears Go Bags because I don't, think I ha- am equipped to do mm. such thing. Like, I don't think I have the good grounding of knowledge, and I don't, I don't know. that It would be a really interesting campaign, um, obviously an important one. Um, but you're right, the undertone of it not being a political issue, but obviously having political implications, as we've seen. Um, it's a good it's a good thought. I don't I don't know that I would be the person to do that. Okay. But I think on a on a more individual like relationship level, I think those are probably more conversations I'd be engaged in, not necessarily on like the grand scheme um, changing like widespread thought or an opinion is not something I think if I'm not prepared to or don't have the knowledge myself to do it, I'm not equipped to handle that. Interesting. So one of the reflections I've recently had is basically um, philosophy is inwards, not outwards. Religion is inwards, not outwards. How is politics and what role should that play? Like you're mentioning right now, for example, philosophy and religion um, I'm Catholic. That means I'm Catholic. It doesn't mean I'm going to tell you to be Catholic. Mm-hmm. How do you think that plays a role in politics? Because the difference I see between those two, um, let's call it philosophy or religion, and politics is that my religion isn't really necessarily going to affect you, but the way I vote is. Right. So what role should, should that play and how equipped do we need to be to talk, obviously, it's our right to talk. We can say whatever we want. Right. But how equipped should we be before we start talking, and how often should we do that? Um, yeah, you make a good point. Like, obviously, there are political implications on to everything, and like, it's not something that can really go ignored. I think it's really important for everyone to be somewhat in the know. Um, 
And because of that, I think, um, as politics, as a philosophy, if you will, is, it can't, it, it must be part of the conversation. And I think, um, it's not at all. And I think maybe there is some sort of turning point in, in younger, um, the younger generations of having those critical conversations surrounding politics, um, because it is messy, like you said. There are topics that are not meant to be political, but inherently are. Yeah. Um, so I think because of that reason, it can't go ignored. Um, because it, for some instances, it, it affects people's lives um, for better or for worse. Um, so I think for that, um, and I think I hear a lot from um, friends or um, people our age who often say like, oh, they don't have the knowledge. They don't, they don't know who they're going to vote for because they don't have the research, which is kind of the same, how, same excuse that people say to like the vaccination. Like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't know enough yet. I need to do my knowledge, my research. But I think that statement is a little flawed because people aren't necessarily doing their research. Yeah. So, um, you know, things with like the vaccines and like COVID that, eventually will come and it will go at some point maybe but politics i think is here forever forever yeah i think uh i mean covid will come and go not covid itself but mm -hmm. topics like it and but but it's always going to be something else just with a different name politics will be here forever do you think it's our responsibility as people that are passionate about this to make sure that other people are informed about this and how should we do it because you made people informed about voting through go bears go vote should we take a larger responsibility in having people informed on at least the most important things year-round um i mean i think as people who are interested and passionate about it and those as people who want to make a difference i think it's just those making where you start is making a difference within reach within your community and i think that's what we did with Go Bears Go Vote, um, we didn't have the mindset of, okay, let's get every single person we know registered to vote. Let's get every single person at Berkeley registered to vote. And not that it was because it was unrealistic, but because we saw an opportunity to make a really big impact within our Cal Athletics community. Um, and I think starting small, and if everyone kind of did their part to one extent or another about like whatever you're passionate about, starting small and within reach is not that it's it's good enough but it's a really great start yeah it, i mean it's the same as setting any sort of goal right start small and out of those wins and then you keep increasing and increasing and i think it has to do with paying it forward have you watched that movie pay it forward mm -mm. okay so pay it forward it's basically a movie about a a young kid and in the classroom they have to do some uh social uh not social a uh, community service event and this kid just decides to pay it forward so he helps out three people, and those three people help out three people, and it continues to add up, and it's an exponential growth, which is obviously the benefit of starting small. For example, your teammate, uh, Maddie, Maddie Roberts, right? Mm -hmm. All right, Maddie um, started out with the lacrosse team. She inspired you, and you inspired the whole athletic department. You're inspiring other people, and maybe it's going to be the entire uh, UC Berkeley community. Mm -hmm. After that, maybe it's all of Berkeley. You know, it just keeps adding up. Um, and I think that's the, the beauty of it for sure. 
But I think that you're right. We should start small and just like take it on that way because if not, we're taking on too much responsibility that we can't control at one point and mm-hmm. that I feel it's overwhelming. Um, and on another note, just with that responsibility, and it, I just want to get to know your take on this. Since we aren't as informed on certain topics and we are informed on other topics that other people aren't informed on, what role should we take on this? For example, uh, at Cal, there are doctors that are informed about the vaccine and they decided to mandate it within UC Berkeley. I'm not talking the US or the California or, or anything. I'm talking about within UC Berkeley or UC, not even that, Cal Athletics. Within Cal Athletics, there's people that know and are informed about the vaccine um, and they mandated it. Is that the approach that should be taken in politics altogether, listening to those that do know? Because otherwise it's like informed, uh, I mean, sorry, misinformed people just making decisions and that's not going to drag us anywhere. I think what's complicated about politics is that it's not black and white and there's no right or wrong. And that's just like the nature of our two-party system is that there will there will always be um conflict and disagreements and because of that i mean i think kind of what i said earlier it's about just having the conversation and i mean in and in, in any case it's really difficult to to navigate misinformation and um based on conversations, because you be, you could be having a conversation with someone who is knowledgeable and still somehow be misinformed. So I think with the politics approach, um, it's important to be open-minded and it's important to engage in conversations, especially when you don't know anything about any certain topic. Um, and likewise, if you do know a lot about a certain topic, also being open-minded to other opinions and yeah. other sides. Um, because like it's just the nature of the two party system is it's not as black and white as science. Yeah. It's a different kind of science for sure. Uh, yeah, a different kind of of science 100%. Um I I was going to follow up by asking what if people don't want to be open minded, but I feel like it does lead to that black and white mm-hmm. because it it just creates a polarized society and it's literally what where you're talking about when we're not open-minded that's what happens and there's actually a great quote from uh the content creator slash author that i follow the most he says that in a polarized society the greatest act of of rebellion is having a dialogue Mm -hmm. like having these conversations and you're right what can you say to someone that isn't sure about how to start these conversations what advice could you give to them um, I mean, I think it's it's certainly daunting, and I think we all shy away f- with it from it, maybe with certain certain individuals. Uh, I mean, I think the best way to go about it is also to, when you're engaging with someone who might not be as open-minded as you, suggest that they should be, um, and take that approach to an open and honest and more raw conversation about genuinely getting each other's opinions, but also comparing them and that difference is okay um because i think a lot of the times when we engage with people who are not as open-minded as us it causes us to be more closed-minded because it just makes us more hesitant to listen to their opinion because you know your opinion is not going to be heard yeah um and i and i think it's just even though the people who may might 
be more knowledgeable in the situation. Acknowledging that at the very beginning and the very forefront, it's it's important. I think to have a. Um, it's it's important to have that understanding from both sides in order to have kind of that like critical conversation and for it to be productive ultimately. Yeah, I, I was going to say when we're uh, trying to get other people to be open-minded, we're unconsciously becoming close-minded mm-hmm. as well. And it's it's such a, a dilemma and, and it's crazy, but I feel like you're taking the uh, democracy approach towards that, which is interesting. I mean, I was going to to ask you, but you kind of answered it in a way. Uh, whether the best way to deal with things in this day is through democracy or not. Because although I am pro-democracy, it is a blessing and a curse at times because if you see where the country is today, it's so divided, again, thanks to misinformation. So at what point do we cut that out and allow someone to take control with information, with proper knowledge, so. Yeah, I think I have that, pers- uh, maybe I have this perspective because of the state that we are in. Yeah. And it is so polarized that how do we make it the slightest bit more unified? Yeah. And how do we how do we exist in this polarized world um, while trying, It's I think it's the same thing starting small and just like slowly trying to close the ties because I think some aspects of politics, there will never, ever be a middle ground. No. Um, and I think that's just the nature of it. Um, and maybe if we lived in a very different world, I'd have a different approach to it. But I think that's why um, I think of it like that. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think that it leads back to the answer that dialogue is the, the answer. Like mm-hmm. the quote I just mentioned, I mean, in a polarized society, the greatest act of rebellion is dialogue. And I think that... It's awesome because, one, we're doing it right now, which is mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. But, two, I mean, helping others do it as well is what's going to solve this. And, three, I like that that's a solu- the solution because I enjoy talking with other people. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. Um, closing out in a, I don't know, in, in a different shift to all of this, what role do you think student-athletes play in today's society with social issues? Um, I think we have a really interesting, we're in a really interesting position because, um, we have these little communities at our schools, within our departments, within our teams, um, and it's, we're lucky that we have those groups laid out for us. Like, if you, if you were to ask me, how do I get engaged at at another school, I'd say start small, smart with your team. Have conversations with just your team. And then from there, you will see how much impact you as a team can have on the entire department and how much the entire department can have on the entire school. So I think it has, we're in a really um, important position where we um, are kind of, we're a- I think we're able to make a much bigger difference than what some student-athletes take advantage than what we're taking advantage of. And I think um, student-athletes, although so busy all the time, um, should really take advantage of that and leverage their position um, because there are people that look up to student-athletes, whether they're um, younger siblings, fans, onlookers, anyone. the, The lights are 
normally shined on us, so it's kind of what we do with it. Um, and I think a lot of student athletes at this school have um, taken that step, which is really exciting to see and be a part of and watch. Yeah, I mean, that that's awesome. And I don't know, well, for those that don't know, we're in a same class, like we share a mm -hmm. class uh, this semester, and that's how I've also gotten to know you a bit more. Um, one of the things I said actually this week in class, we were talking about the whole Aaron Rodgers situation, and, and I just mentioned that I feel like athletes or pro athletes have a responsibility of using their platform for the better because, I mean, a lot of people look up to Aaron Rodgers. He graduated from Cal as well, so it's a interesting take from, from that end, but a lot of kids look up to him, and right now the vaccine just got authorized for, for kids, so that even creates more of a dilemma. Mm. And I, I do think that pro athletes with their platform have a responsibility. I don't think it's a it's much of a choice. It's an actual responsibility, in my opinion. With that being said, I think that student athletes also have a responsibility. Like you said, a lot of people look up to us whether we know it or not. No, we don't have Aaron Rodgers' platform, right? We, we're not Alex Morgan. We're not people like them that have graduated from the school and have a huge platform. But people still look up to us. We still do have some sort of platform. And I think that we got to use it for for the better, in, in mm -hmm. a sense. Like, for example, I know that my Instagram account is not huge. I know that there are less than 2,000 people who could see what I post. But I still post it because people don't realize, like, that's 2,000 people. That's, like, still a good amount of people. And for me, it's, like, if you can have an impact on five people that view a post or a caption or a video... That's still an impact, you know, and I think that, I don't know, student athletes in a way are the leaders of tomorrow. They could be the leaders of today, but I'm talking like the world leaders of tomorrow because we have that platform as athletes, but as well as that education as students. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, just an interesting combination for me. Yeah, I think it's the difference between pro athletes having this obligation yes. versus student athletes have the opportunity and like it's the ones who like it's the ones who you know have the agency to, to leverage that and take that opportunity um that's the most i feel like that's so critical in, in making um making a difference in, yeah. in whatever way goes back to to your quote from <laughs> from everything right like taking an opportunity or making one um Lastly, just to close off, I'm, I'm pretty much done with, with my notes, but something came up earlier when you mentioned SNL and satire. With comedy, recently, well, I've always been really into uh, political comedy. Mm -hmm. um, even since before I, I got into current events, I was really into it, and it made me laugh until I just didn't know what they were talking right. about, which is why I got into it. But... Um, Recently, I've been watching a lot, whether it be SNL or Last Week Tonight or Jamie Fallon or people like that, right? But also specials on Netflix or YouTube or whatever. With comedy, especially stand-up, where do we draw the line with the PC culture in today's world? It's tough. I don't, I don't necessarily know because that line, I feel like, is often crossed. I don't know where it is, but the line is often crossed. But I think that's part of the nature of the satire, is that we're able to m make light of serious topics, um, whether that's 
harmful or not. I don't know. Um, and probably something that would be really cool to observe and analyze just because there, there are definitely, um, I'm sure, there are definitely harms to it on viewers or on, you know, the greater message that they're sending out. But I think ultimately what the nature of the political, like, satire um, is to spread inform. It's it's to inform yeah. to some extent. And I think there is always going to be some sort of undertone of, you know, what you know whatever side they're making light of or whatever situation they're making light of. There is some sort of political undertone that takes a side in the situation. Um, but I think it's also really interesting to um, think about the audience members. Who is watching those shows and who is uh, consuming that media? Um, because if they're anything like you and I, we also have our own personal takes on things and we also oh. are um, willing to open up the computer and do our own research based on the topic. So. I think that's also something to consider. Interesting. So I hadn't taken um, the same approach like you just did with that they're spreading information. Mm. Obviously with SNL last week tonight, Jimmy Fallon, people like that, it makes sense. But uh, like someone I have in mind right now was the recent special with Dave Chappelle. I don't know if you heard about the situation that happened with that. No, I haven't. So he released... Uh, a special called I think it's called the closer mm-hmm. and it was gonna be the last one for a while and he decided to just like his whole stand-up was about like how um, the LGBTQ plus community can also be racist and talking about how um, like him belonging to the black community was very affected by many people that did belong to the LGBTQ plus community but many people took it as an attack specifically on transgender people. Mm. And that's what created the whole dilemma and mess. And, and it involved a bit of the cancel culture that, that we have today. I, don't, I, I do think that Dave Chappelle has a platform. I do think he is informing people. And like you just said, like he does have that obligation. Because a lot of people that are watching or listening aren't going to open up a computer the way you and I do. Mm-hmm. That's actually the majority of people. And that's why we're screwed. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't feel like personally I'm against cancel culture because if we cancel other people, there's no dialogue. Right. And that's what we're saying is a solution to solve our world's problems. I believe that dialogue and education are the solution to all of the world's problems. Mm-hmm. And if we apply cancel culture, it messes it up. So we can't cancel Dave. But he's also like... I understand his take in all honesty. Like, if you, instead of looking at reviews and just watching the thing, all right, you can, like, kind of understand what he's trying to say, but it's it's just not the right way to say it. And right. it, it, it's... The joke did, didn't he, land. It wasn't... He said some really messed up things that I'm not going to say on my show. Um, but, but yeah, it's it's just drawing that line. And I feel like what you said stood yeah, out to Yeah, it me. must... It's, it's got to be a a really difficult thing to navigate as a comedian who regularly, maybe not Dave Chappelle, but other comedians like on The Weekend Update who regularly engage in that kind of content. There needs to be, especially now with cancel culture, um, five extra steps taken to make sure that what is being said does not cross this line because I think 
the lines vary depending on what you're talking about. Yeah. Especially today. Well, even on Weekend Update, um, they do push the line because if you don't push it, it's not going to be funny. Right. That's just the reality of it. Like, comedy is a time where people like the purpose of, of comedy is to make fun of someone else mm-hmm. if you're that someone else you're gonna get offended and in today's world cancel culture before it was like all right either i'll take it or i'll get mad and if you get mad just don't go right but mm-hmm. but yeah i think that the difference now is that we have a platform and you and i can sit down and speak on a mic mm-hmm. and record with cameras and and post this on social media and it does have an impact especially from arguably the greatest comedian of all time, you know? So, I don't know. It's it's just interesting to me. I don't feel like we should cancel, but... Right. Yeah, like, there, there should be a line drawn, and I don't think it should limit. It should just be being smart about what, what you're saying, uh-huh. you know? So, I don't know. I just wanted to put mm-hmm. that out there. Um... Anything else? Anything I missed? No, I don't think so. Well, um, ah, one more question. Sure. One more question. Um, I was looking through, again, the notes. Um, I'm not sure how much of the readings you've done in the class we're in, and I'm not, I'm not going to put you on the spot. Personally, I'm really behind on the readings. It's three books. <laughs> so am I. Yeah, well, it's, it's three books that we should have read. I'm finishing the first one right now. Basically, it's not that I'm not responsible. It's just that the class isn't focused on the books. Right. But I'm finishing Notes from the Cracked Ceiling mm-hmm. right now, which is on um, female candidates in the United States, specifically the presidency mm-hmm. and what it will take for a woman to become president. This was written back in, I believe, 2010-ish. It was right after uh, 2008 with Clinton, um, Hillary Clinton. And I just wanted to get your your take on it. What will it take, like, from a female's point of view in politics and from the same perspective as a student athlete, um, what do you think it will take for for a female to become a president in the United States? Um, I mean, it will happen. Yeah. And it will happen soon. I think the narrative shouldn't necessarily be focused on the women as leaders because they're sure as hell equipped it's the voters yeah it's the people who are putting them in office are they there yet um and i think soon it's promising uh and it's long overdue um but i think we just need that pivotal moment to happen for it to ignite um a a change in american politics with our leaders um and and i think hopefully that will be soon um, but at all, I think, I, I think the focus is on who, not necessarily who the leader is, but who, because if, the, if they're, if they're getting to the point where they're, um, you know, a top candidate who people are considering, but if it, if it comes down to gender, that's, that's on the people voting. Yeah. And that's on, um, the mindsets of others and not necessarily the individual who's taken herself that far yeah i mean for context for for other people the book is called notes from the crux ceiling because uh in her well when when hillary clinton conceded to obama back in 2008 um she just said well uh 
at least there's three, uh, 30 million uh, cracks in the ceiling, meaning everybody that voted for her and like how that ceiling is almost about to shatter. Obviously, this was written in 2010. Currently, we do have a vice president who is a female and she's gone past many barriers, which is good. Um, but the book does focus on the voters and the double standards and it does um, dive deep into that. It also talks about how some candidates have to be aware of these things. For example, Sarah Palin, who was the vice presidential candidate in 2012, it, the book criticizes her for not being as prepared as maybe she should have been, which is unfair because of the double standards. But what's your take? Should we, well, not we, but should females as candidates adjust to the double standards or should they speak out against them and, and not have them like not have not not have them right. but not take them is what I'm trying to say yeah I mean I think a lot of these double standards are just so long ingrained in pol in all things um, in society and unfortunately rejecting them may not be the most I, I mean I think obviously you you have to reject them at, to some degree as a female candidate who is faced with these impossible standards that male candidates don't you know have to face um, but I think it's I, I don't know if, if there's more of a strategic way to reject them while also acknowledging its existence and working around it and navigating it um, because I think that's something as women we have to do outside of politics, too. Yeah. So I think, you know, that getting there, getting to that position of power um, where enough American voters are, are voting in majority for you, um, it's hard to ignore, I think, and it, because of its existence, these double standards. It must be acknowledged, and I think acknowledging it means figuring out how to navigate it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that in in another example later on in the book, I'm about to finish it, so <laughs> I, I'm reading it. But um, there is Nancy Pelosi's case, and how well we know that many of the female candidates have also like one of the biggest double standards is parenthood mm -hmm. in the sense that, I mean, many males have, well, most males, uh, politicians have children, but if there's a mother, it obviously changes the whole conversation and how Nancy Pelosi actually embraced that as a mother, as a grandmother mm -hmm. and said like, this is the role I'm playing in Congress as well. And saying like, that's the best training I can have to be a politician. And I mean, obviously, I'm not a female, but from my point of view, I feel like once female candidates fully understand presidential candidates, because in Congress, we already saw it happen. But once they fully understand that breaking past that barrier is going to be having to adjust to that and then making the difference once you're there. Right. It, that's what it's going to take. That's what I think. Mm -hmm. The issue is they haven't gotten there yet and yeah. until you get there you can't change it and that's just the barrier that exists and mm -hmm. waiting for that ceiling to to shatter there's a, a quote actually in within the very first minutes of the show i told you about the newsroom really recommend mm -hmm. that you watch it but um it's basically 
the anchor for for the show, uh, Will McAvoy, and two others in a panel. They're just panelists out of college, um, and he the the quote is um, the first step to uh, the first step to solving any problem is recognizing that there is one, and. I, I feel like that's what you're saying with the awareness and, and knowledge that that's going on. And I'm not sure, I'm not one to say because I'm not female of whether they should adapt to it or go against it. I just feel like the most strategic thing to do is adjust and, and go from there. Right. I mean, I think one of the strategies the authors in that book talk about is um, using what is pitted against you in these double standards as, as strengths, as your strengths, playing on them. Um, and I think that's also just like acknowledging, um, for for instance, motherhood. Acknowledging that you are a mother and owning it and using that to your strength, the way Nancy Pelosi did. Yeah. Um, there will always be backlash, no matter what. Um, and I think that's just the most uh, meaningful way to go about it because it's also not rejecting these things that are part of you. Yeah. You are a mother, so you don't want to. You know, you you can't reject the du- the double the existence of that double standard. You have to rather like reconfigure the narrative around it. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. I I'm not sure if you've ever watched the movie Eight Mile. Mm-mm. All right, so it's about Eminem, like the rapper Eminem, and and just his story. And at the end, there's a rap battle, and there's three battles within it just to win the whole thing. And at the last one, it's like. It's him against the people that bully him, pretty much. And the way that he just freestyles about it is owning up to everything that he is. And he says, he basically describes describes himself. And then he says, all right, like, that's me. What what are you going to say about me now? Mm-hmm. And it's hanging that lantern the, yeah. way, the way we say in class that I feel is what it takes. And Nancy Pelosi got there. She has expressed many times that she doesn't want to be uh, a presidential candidate, but... Hopefully someone will will make it happen soon. I mean, obviously, we do have a vice president mm-hmm. now. Maybe maybe she's the one that can take that step in. If not, hopefully soon. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's pretty much it. Anything I, I miss or anything else? No, I think we're all good. Well, perfect. This was honestly one of the best talks I've oh, had good. here by far. Um, I enjoyed how we instead of like diving deep into stories that are already made it was just like exploring certain topics and i really really enjoyed this i'm hoping we can do it again before you graduate next may Mm -hmm. um but yeah this is very enjoyable um to everybody that watched thank you very much uh whether you watched on youtube listened on spotify thank you so much please help me out by liking subscribing etc Um, and sharing it with anyone you think that would like it. The book that we mentioned is called Notes from a Crack Ceiling. Other ones that I'd recommend from this class um, about polarization are Them and uh, Why We're Polarized. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they're two different perspectives. One is from the right, one is from the left, so don't tell us we're leaning one way, Mm -hmm. even though we go to Berkeley. Um, But yeah, that's it for today. I'll see you all next time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Make sure to subscribe to my podcast and follow me on my personal social media accounts for more. All at Fer Andraes. All links are in the description. If this episode inspired you in any way, please help me out by sharing it with a friend to help them leave their dent in the universe as well. 
That's it for today. I'll see you all next time.